for next little while. Uh, I have a lot of notes on Daniel chapter 7, so we'll probably in it for a bit. Uh, one, the, the visions he sees are, 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 are prophetical, and, and you'll see it shows you just how awesome God is. So like I said, well, as you study 1 through 6, you, you get the life and time. Now chapter 7 through 12 describes the, the, the visions, but they had an order and event. And the way Daniel's written is after you get 7, it's not really in, in chronological order because what happens in chapter 7, time-wise, if you go back to Daniel chapter 4 and 5, that's where the time that this happens at. So what chapter? Chapter 7. So, okay, so Daniel chapter 7, Julie, verse 1. So it starts off, as he tells us, he gives us a timeline as to, to when it is. Now, when Daniel does his description, a lot of his description is vague. And when you when you read it, it, it tends to go back and forth. He's giving you a vague description. He goes into detail in some spots, but he's not details and other and the the first this is the first of four visions that he has uh, and the first vision is the more comprehensive of all of them the other three go into greater detail within the framework of the first vision so they all kind of tie in together so he he starts off he says in the the first year of Belshazzar the king of Babylon Daniel had a dream and a vision of his head upon the bed, and he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matter. So he he's telling the summary. Basically, you can say he's telling the main facts of what he saw. He didn't write down everything he saw, and so unlike where John goes into a little bit more detail in Revelation, Daniel kind of hits the high points of it, and, and so we see that's the reason why he he's he does it, and I think that's why so many people have trouble understanding Daniel. Daniel's a very vague book, but it's you, you have to, really, you have to have revelation with it in a way to understand what's going on here in Daniel. So he, yes? Most of works in the Bible are not in chronological Correct. Why do they put them in Well, they put them in, you have them kind of in series. You have the historical books, then you have the poetic books, and then you have the prophetical books. And that's the reason why they're in that order. So that's the reason why they're not quite in 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 an order of, of time. Because if you think about it, uh, Job is probably the oldest of the historical books. Because a lot of what Job is written in the timeline of Job is when Abraham was here. So his book, if you put it in time, you'd have to basically slice Genesis in a quarter there and stick Job in the middle of it. So it's kind of just the way that they put them together. And so it, that's one of the reasons why. Right. And, and, you know, the, with the prophetical books, some of them, the, the subject matter, too, is, is who it was written to. So that, that's one of the reasons. So as he says he had a dream and a vision, you know, so this is not just, it's not like just having a dream. It was more than that. 
So it was really real. And, and he, he gets into it and he says in, in verse 2, he says, Daniel spake and said, that's what always got me right there. Daniel spake and said, who's he speaking to? He's the one writing this. So he's Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, behold, four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came upon the sea, diverse from one another. So he he's basically he says he sees his vision and 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 the the four winds were upon the great sea and the stirring of the great sea as he's talking about here basically whenever an Israelite referred to the great sea they weren't talking about the Sea of Galilee they were talking about the Mediterranean Sea you got to remember Israel has no navy never had a navy really so to speak of. Uh, it's believed when Solomon was king, they had one that did trading and stuff, but that was never really mentioned. But when they look at the sea, the sea was a place of fear. It was a pa- place of, that scared them. So they're saying that they saw this great sea and there was a stirring on it. And, and so it, it it's, it's mentioned, why I think Daniel mentions this and why the sea was so important is that the empires that are going to be mentioned in his visions are connected to the Mediterranean. So that's one of the reasons why it's there. So when he talks about stirring up, he's talking about it's, it gives us the idea of chaos because of the fact, like I said, they whenever they saw the sea, they, they, were, they were afraid of it. Now, sometimes the sea in, in the Bible is used to picture Gentile nations. Like in Psalm 74, 13, says this, he's, the psalmist said, Thou dividest the sea by the strength, and thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the water. And so he's actually, the picture there is, is the Gentile nations and how God took care of them. In Psalms 89, 9, it says this, As thou rulest the raging seas, when the waves therefore rise, thou stillest them. Now, that, that's a very po- poetic verse, and, and you think about it, it does make sense. Who stilled the seas? Jesus did. But in the contents of what the psalmist is writing about, he's writing about world events. And so the seas there was the, the nations that were rising up. Isaiah fifty-seven twenty says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose water cast upon mire and dirt. So, you know, uh, he's talking about people who were wicked there. So when he talks about the four winds, the four winds... In different places of the Bible, winds were mentioned as a, a, a part of God's power. That he, he did things by the wind. In Psalms 35 and Psalms 48, Psalms 107, Isaiah 27 and 41, he mentions using the wind. God used the wind to control things. So, But also... Uh, it suggested too that also the winds were for satanic purposes, I guess you could say would be a good way because Satan used them to control things or, or up against different things. And listen to this. And I, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, it says this. It says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow upon the earth, nor that sea, nor the, or any tree. So here we see God's using it for judgment too. So when he's talking about the four winds of heaven blowing on the sea, you can see this is a prophetic vision is what what Daniel's trying to let us understand. It's very prophetic. God's controlling these nations that he's going to mention. And he comes out with four 
beasts come up from the sea. And so there are four large, ferocious animals, and they emerge from the great sea, which so we, as we see how history has betrayed them, we, we can understand what they are. Now, when he's talking about these, these visions, thinking about this, the description he's fixing to give of these beasts that he sees. Now, it makes you wonder a little bit, because listen to the first one. It, it says in verse 4, he says, The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. So he sees this, this, this beast that looks like a lion, and it has eagle's wings. He says, I beheld till the wings were plucked, and it was lifted from the earth and made to stand on the feet as a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. So he, he describes this, I mean, if you listen to it, the first beast, and, and we listen to him, excuse me, it's kind of a majestic beast because eagles and lions are the kings of their realms, if you think about it. The, the, the greatest bird is the eagle. The greatest animal is the lion. So here you've got one that's a majestic looking animal. And, and throughout history, you'll see where the lion is used as a symbol of nations. But then it tells us this, basically this majestic, proud-looking beast gets humbled. Because what does it says he, he looked at it till what happened? The wings were plucked off. So you imagine they pluck all the feathers off this poor little old this lion, and so it don't look, so it's humbled, and then it's even humbled even worse. It's given the heart of a what? A man. So this strong beast is given a heart, which is a very corruptible heart. And so you had it. Now later in Daniel 7, 17, he tells us who these four beasts are. And this first beast he's mentioned is a picture of the Babylonian kingdom. And in Babylonian history, they used a replica of this in a lot of their cities. And when you, the, uh, the ruins of uh, Babylon, there were at the front gates, there was a winged lion that they had at the front of their gate. So he's seeing something that actually comes to the truth. Now, Jeremiah uses it in Jeremiah 49, verses 12, I mean, 19 through 22. He uses the picture of Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to this, it says, And behold, Jeremiah said, Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the swelling of the Jordan against the habitation of the strong. But I will suddenly make him run away from her, and who is... Cho who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her. For who is like me and who will appoint me in time? Who is the shepherd that will stand before me? Therefore the counsel of the Lord that he taketh against Edom and his purpose, he has purpose against the inhabitants of Timon. Surely the flock, at least the flock shall draw them out and he shall make their habitations desolate. The earth is moved and the noise of their fall at the cry of the noise was heard in the Red Sea. Behold, he shall come up, fly as an eagle, and spread his wings over Boaz. And at that day, the heart of the mighty men of Edom shall be as the heart of a woman in her pangs. So Jeremiah takes this, he's describing Nebuchadnezzar, and he's describing Babylon, and he's talking about the fall of it. He says this mighty nation, when it falls, they're going to cry like a lot of women is the, 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 who are having labor pains. And he says that's how great when they fall are. So here, 
Daniel says he sees this line come up and he sees how it's destroyed in that picture there. So then he, he goes to the next one and he says in, in the next verse, in verse 5, he says, And behold, another beast, a second like a bear, and it raised itself up on one side. And it had three ribs in its mouth between the teeth of it. And they said, Thus unto it, Arise and devour much flesh. So it's the, the second beast is not as majestic, but when you think of a bear, what do you think about? Smokey the bear. <laughs> Get maul. A bear is more powerful in, in its stance. You think it, uh, the, uh, the lion. Lion's a very powerful, majestic looking animal, but a ba big bear is just a huge, you know. Teddy bear. Well, well, the way he describes it, this has got it's got ribs in its mouth. It's an eating bear. So you know, it, 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 it's slower, it's stronger, but it has a, a voracious appetite. Because it says, arise and devour, but look what it tells them to devour. Much flesh. So the bear represents the Medo-Persian Empire, which came after the Babylonian Empire. It's a partnership between the Medes and the Persians. The Persians dominated the relationship, but a lot of people think that the, the three ribs that are in here uh, are their great military conquests because they, they defeated Babylon, they defeated Egypt, and they defeated Lydia. And, and so Clark said this, he said, the slow-crushing armies of the Medo-Persians were well known. They simply overwhelmed their opponents with superior size and strength. The Medes and the Persians are compared to the bear on account, account their cruelty and their thirst after blood a bear being the most voracious and cruel of the animals listed. So they said that the, they, were, they were a very cruel nation. When they conquered people, they didn't do like Babylon. You know, Babylon, when they conquered Israel, they brought all the kids, you know, the, of the rich people. They brought them to, to incorporate them into their nation. When the Medes and the Persians did, they just killed everybody. Their favorite thing to do was take a king and... Have him tied up, bring all of his kids and wives before him, and kill them one by one. And then gouge his eyes out. So that the last thing he saw would be that his seed would never be any more. That's how cruel they are. They also would take, when they, they defeated soldiers, they would, you know, the wounded and everybody, they would make them kneel on all four. And then they used them as their table or their floor as they ate. And if you, you know, if you fail, then they killed you right there. So that they were a very cruel group of people. Ironside said this about arising and devouring much flesh. He says, the command to arise and devour much flesh indicates extreme cruelties and the practices by the Persian and the extent of their conquest. It was, it was very large. Now, there's a lot of commentators who try to say, well, this was only the Medes and, and not the Persians. But the third, and they try to say the third beast is the Persian Empire and the fourth to Alexandria, but that don't quite fit everything that goes along with the prophecies. So the Medes are, and Persians are compared together. The Median kingdom didn't follow after the Babylon. The Persians did. But the... 
they they were kind of contemporary with them for a while. So we see that in the need the Mede the Mede kingdom never had a world position as the Persians did. They were just as cruel though. So we that's one of the reasons why they're combined in a lot of a lot of history. Now the next one it comes upon. He says, let me find my third one there. And he says, after this, I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. And the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given it. So this is why they say it. this one is Alexander the Great, because... One, the quickness of his empire. You realize that uh, he conquered everything by the age of 28. So by the time he got to be 28, he had conquered from Greece to India all the way down into Egypt. So his empire was huge, and, and it was big, and it came quick. Uh, a lot of people said there was nothing in the history of the world, equal to the conquest of Alexandria. Uh, he ran through the countries so quickly that in 12 years, he, he had part of Europe and Asia, and all of Asia was in his domain. And so that's why they say that this has to be his. Now, look at what else it said. It says, and it had four wings of the fowl, and the beast also had four heads. When... Alexander died, his kingdom was divided into four parts to his general. So that's the reason why you had Cassander, Lyskium, Cyrus, and Ptolemy who inherited Alexander's kingdom after he died. The, the, ba the Babylonian empire dominated in Daniel's day, so he actually got to see that. So many believe what he saw was the, the reign of Belshazzar, and the next would be the Medo-Persian. But Daniel wouldn't have known this because by the time all this happens, Daniel's dead. So the pictures that he sees and he writes down, see how prophetic it is? He, God let him see world history as it unfolded. And, and so it, it shows us this. It shows the plain principle. God knows the future and can reveal it if he wants to. And you think about this, we see how what in the New Testament, what Paul told Timothy about in the latter days where men would have itchy ears and things like that. We see how that's coming to pass, how God, yeah, I think a lot of the book of Daniel for, for us, as we see some of these visions are already taking place and the ones that haven't taken place, you can see how crystal clear the ones he sees as he sees these visions of these animals, how crystal clear that was. So when we get to the parts that haven't taken place yet, you see that, okay, if this has already happened, how clear it is, what he says is going to happen is going to happen. Because he's going to get into the, talking about the Antichrist. He's going to get into talking about things. And, and people have always tried to take some of Daniel and put it into history. And a lot of it you can, but a lot of it you can't still because of the way it, it, it does. You know, it, it lets us see where Peter said in 2 Peter 1.19, where he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, 
whereunto we do well that we take heed as unto the light that shineth in the dark place until the day dawn and the day star rises in your heart. Where Peter said, basically Peter's saying, hey, the word of God is true. Take heed to it. Listen to it. So he's given us three of the beasts that he saw. And now he's fixing to get to the fourth beast. And it's different than any of the others. Because listen to how he tries to describe it. He says, and after this, I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue of the feet with it. It was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. So he he's given the description of a beast that's different. And it doesn't sound like anything, does it? There's no animal associated with this beast. It's it's dreadful. It's horrible. And, and he doesn't really have the words to describe it. I mean, the other ones were pretty weird. If you think about a lion and an eagle put together... And then you think about a giant bear that, that's eating, you know, that's not that bad. But then you look at that leopard that's got four wings of a fowl, so four bird wings on it. It don't tell us what kind. And it had four heads. That'd be a really weird looking animal. But then he gets to the fourth and he can't really describe it. it it's, but we know that it, it, it is fearsome and it's, it's, it's ugly and it's strong. Because it has ten horns on its head. You know, uh, if you're going to picture the ten horns, what would be the first thing that would come to mind as you pictured that? An, uh, uh, something with ten horns on its head. A deer. That's what a lot, of, a lot of commentators try to say it was a deer. But then when you look at the way it talks about the ten horns as we get into the next verse... Because listen to verse 8. He said, I considered the horns. So the thing that drew him is not the, the, the teeth, it's not the animal, but the horns on it. He said, I considered the horns and behold, there came among them another little horn. Before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots and behold in the horns were eyes like eyes of men and a mouth speaking great things so this is really weird you've got 10 horns you got three that are basically getting plucked out and you got one little bitty one and it's got eyes and it's got it's got to have a mouth because it's speaking it's, it's got iron teeth so it, it's a very Weird looking horn. So that's what got Daniel's attention was the horns. And I can understand why. I mean, how many horns you ever seen with an eyeball in it? That'd be a really weird looking, looking horn. Uh, I, I thought about this. I said, you know, the description of the Bible where the, the, the angel that had the wings that has the eyes in it is almost, this is kind of similar to that, but different. And, and so it, it's, you, you can see there, there's a tie-in to one of another vision in, the, in Daniel. 
Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, if you remember, and he saw this great statue. And it goes from the top, and it goes all the way down to the bottom. And the bottom had ten toes, and they were just iron and clay mixed together. So it's almost the same. They're, they're, they're so close together, but the difference is the view of them. And I'll get to that in just a minute. So we know that the four beasts, the fourth beast, though, if you look at it, became, does anybody have an idea what kingdom it was? What was one of the most ferocious kingdoms, largest kingdoms, strongest kingdoms? Yes and no. The Mongols had a giant kingdom, but it wasn't that strong. They were a quick one. The Roman Empire. Because you got to think, too, you got to go back to the sea that he talked about. All these animals come up out of the sea, the great sea. So the one that came up, which would have been the strong, would have been the Roman Empire. And so he, he's, he's given us the idea this is the Roman Empire, which was the largest and strongest of the ancient empires. But also it ties into prophecy, future prophecy, which the little horn is going to have a lot to do with. They were fishermen in the Sea of Galilee. They, it was weird. They would fish that sea. Now, if you was along the coast, they would fish off the, around the coast, but they wouldn't go out far. They didn't have ships to go out far because the storms terrified them. And if they had visions like Daniel, I can understand why. <laughs> It's the storm. It was the uncertainty of the sea that frightened them because they were, you think, what was their history of? They were shepherds. You know, they were firmly planted. And the one enemy they had the most time with in the empire was who? Who did, who, who did uh, David have to fight constantly? The Philistines. The Philistines were actually people who came from the sea. That's what their name meant. They migrated to that area. And when they came, they were conquerors. So that's one, another reason why they hated the sea so much. The one enemy that they had trouble with almost the whole time came from. When Rome came, guess how they showed up? From the sea. So they had that problem. So, you know, now if we look at the, the horn, he's talking about the ten horns. And he says, but he, he, fo he focused on the little one. So among the ten horns, you got that small one. And it had the eyes like a man. And it, it, it spoke. Because look at what it says. It, a mouth speaking great things. And, and so basically... There, the word great would be translated as boastful or pompous words. So you've got a mouth, you got, basically you got somebody, you got a politician. <laughs> there you go. You know, he, 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 talk, he says, you know, he says, now 
couple of people in, in Bible times have taken what he's talking about of the three horns that's plucked up by the first. He says they 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 even think it's who they are, and they they take them and they said they they look at the 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 Catholic Church. And they, they compared them to a lot. They said the first was, and I don't know how to pronounce all these things, the Icarit of Ravenna. You may have heard of that. I'm glad I'm not the only one. The second one is the kingdom of the Lombards. And the third is the state of Rome. Not the Roman Empire, but the state of Rome. And here's what they said. The first was given to Pope Stephen II by the king of France. And this constitutes the Pope's temporal princes. That's whoever that first one, the Eckert of Ravenna was. The second is to St. Peter by Charlemagne in 774. And the third is the state of Rome that the Pope's basically vested in, in with spiritual and different things as they, yeah, as they, they established their kingdom. So that's what he they they compared them to was the three main things that the, the the Catholic Church did as it was establishing itself and gaining its wealth in the early first few centuries. Now it says the eyes were like that of men, and the reason why it does that is it says because men's eyes can be intimidating, they can be cunning, and they can be evil. So that's the reason why. Now get this: the Pope calls himself Episcus Escaporium, which is, means the overseer of the overseers. So if you say he's got the eyes like a man, so the description of the Pope. Now it says this, another one said, in the mouth of speaking great things or boasting, it's full of boasting, pretending to be the ultimate jurisdiction, binding and loosing, loosing at pleasure, promising to absolve from all sins, present, past, and future, and threatening to send everlasting destruction on all kings, kingdoms, and individuals who would dare dispute his power and authority. Does that sound like anybody from history? It was the Pope. Because you think the Catholic Church had told the people because they were people were illiterate and they kept the, 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 the word of God and and in Latin, so nobody else could read it, that it was to the point that they were the ones who forgave sins. If they didn't like you, guess what? They'd tell you you're going to hell. Because think about this. What's the one thing the Catholic Church uses to frighten people? Does anybody know? Going to ask I'm not going to have communion with you. And if you can't have communion in the Catholic Church, do you know where you go from there? Straight to hell. Well, have they decided yet where any Catholic politicians can have communion? Because they believe in, uh, they believe in abortion. If you give enough money to the church, they'll let you do anything. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so, I've noticed that. It, it, that. One time they'll say something bad, and next time they say something wonderful about them. Yeah, pretty much, and that's pretty much the way it is. Now, as he now look at the springing up of the little horn. He says, "I consider the horns, and behold, there came among them the little horn." So all of a sudden, this little horn pops into into power. So he comes out of almost nowhere. 
to come into power is the way he as he describes this. So the fact that he's considering the coin, he's looking on them, and then this other one springs up. So you know this applies when he first saw the monster; it didn't have no horns. It didn't have this little horn. Because of the way he described, he says the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were the eyes. When it comes up, it dislodges these others. So it takes its place. It springs up. the The word there uh, is from the same source pertaining to animals that pop up and pounce on other things. So it it, it gives us here the language doesn't doesn't designate or or with any degree of certainty of how it came about it just tells us it just pops up so it was the little horn at first it was small but then it starts to grow because look what it says it says it started speaking great things it has the eyes of men so it begins to get power as it grows exactly this is the the little horn is the antichrist and so, which, as we get into a little bit more, the growth of the horn tells us basically that it, it, it's, that the way it talks about, because listen, it says, the first horns were plucked up by the roots. So they were pulled out, rooted out. How many of you ever had a tooth, big, big tooth pulled? They had long roots. So kind of that, that's how bad it was. Kind of like when a tree gets knocked over. So you've got this tree, this this horn that comes, it surplants everything. It surplants power because horns in the Bible are pictures of strength and power. On the altar, on, on the brazen altar, on each corner of it, it had four horns. That was to show strength. It was to show power. And so here you've got three horns that are just as equal as the other ten and they're moved out of the way by a little one. The difference is this one has eyes and this one has a mouth. So we see from that that it's going to be cunning. We see from that that it's going to be able to convince people or its words are going to be powerful words because it talks about great words. So we, we see we see that, you know, in the eyes... Let me throw back on the eyes for a second. Ezekiel, Ezekiel one eighteen, as he's talking about the wheels that he sees in heaven, they have eyes in them. So eyes are something that denotes intelligence. So this is a very smart individual. Not only does he speak, but he can see a lot. He speaks great things. So down in, in verse 25, we'll get to the more to the the mouth of who he is. Uh, It explains a lot about him as we go a little further in here. Let me find get my next page here. Seven through nine, listen to what it says. I beheld till the thrones were cast down. So somewhere in between eight and nine, each one of these he sees takes a throne. So that's how we know they were kingdoms. And he says, listen to what he says. He says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancients of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, 
and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. So he gives us a description. He listen to what he says. And fiery steam stream issued and came forth before him. Thousands and thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. Who do you think nine and ten is describing? God. More so Jesus when you look at Because if you go to John's vision of Jesus, remember he talks about him. He has the white hair in, in Revelation chapter 1. You know, he couldn't, he actually didn't recognize him. So he he's seeing him here. And, and the King Bur- James Version, when he says, I watched till the thrones were put in place. The, the, the King James version here basically says we're cast down, but the word, the word also translates as established. So he saw as the king, the, the, their, their kingdoms were established, but their kingdoms don't last because somebody else comes along. Now, this is where we get into the prophetical side of it, the, of the Roman Empire, and that the tenth horn, which rises up from that, will rise up and almost reclaim most of the Roman Empire. and But he's not of the historical Roman Empire. He surplants everything. So this is the Antichrist. When the Antichrist falls, why, why does he fall? At the end of the tribulation period, what happens? Jesus comes back and defeats him. So this is what he says. He says he saw all this. Now, the one thing you got to remember, what did Daniel not see? What did the prophets, so many of the prophets in the Old Testament, not see? Well, they saw Jesus. All of them saw Jesus. They see the coming kingdom. They see where he rules and reigns on the earth. The thing they had trouble seeing is from the book of Acts until now, the church. They had trouble seeing that. So what we have is we go from old history to now, and Daniel didn't see all that. He makes mention of people, but he's not sure really who they are. As we see, I mean, because look, he, he gives a description of tons of people here. Now, notice that if you listen to Jesus, I mean, to John's description of the of the throne and Daniel's description of what he sees in the judgment. The one thing that's missing there is the 24 elders that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. They're not mentioned here around the throne. He sees thousands upon thousands of people and, and, and he, how's he, how's he, how's he word this? He says that he saw thousands and ministered unto him and that would be the angels, the thousands that minister. It's believed by some that the 24 elders are representing them the church. Now, you have different views of that. You have those who say that 12 of them are the apostles and 12 of them are people out of the Old Testament. So, But the difference is, even in, in Ezekiel and in Isaiah's visions of heaven, you don't see them. 
You ever thought about that? They're not mentioned. Now, Ezekiel and Isaiah, when they saw heaven, they saw it in their time, before the church comes. John sees it when the church is there. So that's the difference. The church is there. They never saw the church. You gotta remember, what's the one thing the Jews didn't really want in heaven? Gentiles. Even though Isaiah and all the rest of them kept mentioning that we were going to be there, they still didn't want to see it happen. So they don't see everything. And as he don't see everything, but we, we understand that, that Paul tells us this. You know, he, he talks about this. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, he said, For this cause I, Paul, prisoner Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you had heard of the disposition of grace of God, which is given to me, to you, you word. Now that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Wherefore, I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual workings of his power. So Paul said that the Old Testament prophets didn't have this. It wasn't until the, the Holy Spirit revealed it unto Paul and unto the church, the whole prophecy. You think when Daniel wrote his words and his visions, God told him to seal it. What he meant, he says, don't, you're going to write it, but people are not going to understand it. When he told John to write it, he told him not to seal it. So it became understandable. You could take John's revelation and go back to Daniel and see where everything was mentioned and get a clearer picture of what Daniel was saying. That even Daniel didn't quite grasp because it wasn't revealed to him. So that's why we, we see this now. The Ancient of Days is the Son of Man, as he talks, is God, is God the, he, he's God the Father, not God the Son here, as he sits on the throne. But who does the judging? God does judging, but in the in the book of Revelation, Jesus is the judge. Who also judges with God? We do. The church does. So we we see a picture. He says the ancient of days did sit. So he sees God sit, and, and he sees the, the 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 judgment coming as he gets a chance to see this. So Jesus is sitting there. Now, it says his throne was a fiery flame. And think, think about this, you know, as he's describing the picture of, his, the, of the throne. It's like Elijah and Elijah when the, the, the chariot came, the fiery chariot came. I mean, you know, every time I'm at night when, when it's sunset and you see a, a plane Flying and the sun's hitting it just right, and it's that cherry red. Don't you ever think, is that what it looked like? 
Because he's trying to describe something he's never seen before. Then, Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there he's right. He's trying to describe something he's never seen before, and so he's trying to describe a, a, a throne. It, it, it's beautiful, but it's so brilliant because think of when 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 Moses wanted to see God, he said, "You can't look upon me and live." And when he came out from just being near him, his face glowed. I've always tried to figure out what did that look like. What would a glowing face look like? And so as you try to figure out what this, this, this throne would look like, so you've got the brilliant manifestations of God's splendor, basically that Shekinah glory of God which glows. <coughs> and he, he's trying to describe... Now, listen, he says, Fiery steam issued and came forth before him. So... He, he he's got he's got this 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 beautiful thing, and he says, and all these people are standing before him, and and it it, it is something wonderful. It, listen, he says, and the books were opened. I, I like that the books were opened, so that the seats they the they're basically in, in court now, and the books are being opened. And he says, a thousand, thousand ministers. So we got this as the angels. The 10,000 is the, the description of humanity before them. Everybody that's there before them. The, the court was seated and the books were open. So what books? All right. In the Bible, there are different books mentioned. In Psalms 69, verse 28, is the book of the living. Because listen to what it says, Psalms 20, 69, 20 says, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not written with the righteous. So you have a book of the living. Then in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, you have the book of remembrance written. And they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, to another and the Lord hearkened and heard it and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. I've often wondered, is that the book where everything that we do for God's written in there? Or everything we do? Because you think as Christians, we'll be judged for our what? For our works. Is this that book that we're going to be judged out of? Because it says, for all them that fear him and his name. So you have that. Then you have the book of life that... that that you mentioned, which we find in Philippians chapter 4, Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 13, 17, 20, uh, 21. And all of them mention the Lamb's book of life and the book of life. So you, you have that one. So these books are open and they're judged out of them. I mean, you think, is, is it a fair judgment in a way? I mean, because... I've often wondered, is this the great white throne judgment of what Daniel is seeing here? Because you've got all these angels, you've got all these people, and they're all ministering to God, or basically worshiping God, and he's judging people. Now remember, what was he looking at before? These kingdoms. 
And you know, in, in the book of Revelation, it tells us all people, great and small, are standing before the Lord. So I wonder, is this it? Daniel doesn't really give us a clear view other than they were being judged. Now, listen to what he says in verse 11 through 14. The horn is fixing to get into it. He said this, he said, I beheld the voice of the great words which the horn spake, and I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So he beheld the, the voice. So basically here's the little horn or the Antichrist who speaks great words. And the word great there is rabbah and it means domineering words or profound words. So you've you got basically the final human dictator and he's characterized by his boastfulness. <coughs> he's also characterized here by his blasphemous speech. In the book of Revelation, it talks about his speech. Chapter 13, 5 and 6, listen to this. And there was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months and he opened his mouth to blaspheme against God and to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. So here, this little horn that he sees is being judged because of what he said, the blasphemies that he, he committed. And, and notice it says something about him. He was slain, his body was destroyed, and given to the burning flame. Where does he end up? In the lake of fire, in hell. I mean, that's plain and simple as it goes. He doesn't make it through it. For all what he does, for all his power, for all the strength he had, he basically, he, he's got a, he, he, his ending. And isn't it amazing? Satan knows this. This has been in the word, and yet he's still going to keep trying. It's amazing. So the, the distinction between the fourth beast and the horn, it, it lets us know this is, some people say it's not just the beast, an individual. Some people say it's a whole government and administration. But I don't think, yet yeah, that's true, but that's not true. You know, his whole goal is to be like who? God. Because remember, that was his, that's, and, and, and I said that was what he, he said, I will be like the Most High. And for a little bit, he's going to get what he wants. He wants the world to worship him. He wants to be, you know, ooh, ah, here he comes. And he gets that for a little bit. But it's not really equal with God because he's going to force it upon people and there's a big difference now you, you think about something okay if it, it's not a government it's more of an individual because if, if I say World War II and the Nazis who do you think of Hitler. Hitler but Hitler but the Nazis were more than just Hitler he was just the the leader 
So here, the small horn, yeah, he might have a government society with him, which he's going to have to, to rule what he wants to rule, but all of them going to be brainwashed by him. But it's him who's the head person. Because when Hitler fell, what happened to the rest of them? Yeah. You know, now, notice one thing that he says here. He, he says in verse 11, he says, I beheld them then because the voice of the great words which the horn spoke. And I beheld even till the beast were was slain. So we're, we're talking about the, this man of sin, this, the, the son of perdition, as he's called in the New Testament, the Antichrist. He, he can speak great things. And I did think about that, you know, when Hitler came to power, they said the one thing that he had that amazes people to this day, because you look at him, he was an ugly little individual. But he could talk people into all kind of things. <coughs> so the Antichrist, his power comes from what he gets people to believe. And isn't it, I, would have, I don't know about y'all, I would have never thought people would believe <coughs> some of the things that they believe today. I mean, you think about it. The, 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 the lies that people will be subject to today and, and just soak it up. It, it's the power of speech. I mean, you, you think about something. You go on an airplane today and, and they'll have in the bathroom a smoke alarm. Okay? One, if there's smoke on a plane, you probably don't want that alarm to go off. But it tells you not to mess with it, tamper with it. It's got a whole list of things, of words. Why is that? Well, human nature. There you go. It's because we'll try to say, well, you didn't tell me I couldn't dismantle it. You know, we could just put, don't touch it, leave it alone. But somebody, that's like a lawnmower has a picture of don't stick your fingers on the inside of it so that they don't get cut off. I mean, really, how stupid do you got to be? But somebody will say, well, I did that because you didn't tell me. Yeah, trim their heads with it. Or caution, coffee is hot. Of course coffee's hot. You ordered a hot cup of coffee. But we have to have words because word now, people don't take people at their words. Words are twisted so bad that you have to have caution, coffee's hot, and then a book explaining that coffee's hot. Yeah, we're tolerant of everybody as long as you agree with what I say. That's what tolerance means. So, yeah. But common sense is a superpower nowadays, and it's because people twist their words. I, I was at, at lunch day sitting there in my leader's office and, and, and one of them was talking and they had on that trial of Rittenhouse boy. 
And I'm listening to the lawyers and they're discussing these people are viewing some content. Well, they got in an argument about them viewing it. And the argument the lawyer tried to use was back in the 70s and 80s, you had to rewind a tape. And the tape might break, so you could only rewind it so many times. And they were arguing that these were watching the same thing over and over. Well, it's no longer rewinded. It's digital, so it's completely different. What did that have anything to do? I'm listening, so we're going to sit here for hours as you two argue over this so that maybe you can win your case. Well, they said that the, the pictures that they let the defense attorneys watch the film was not as good as what they showed to the jury. Yeah. So I mean, so we're gonna we're gonna do this as this is our test. This is how we're gonna we're gonna lie. We're gonna change our words. So he talks about the words were this, but the words in the end is what destroys him. But notice this: the concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away. So they lost their power. But what does it say happens then? Their their life because even though the Antichrist has a kingdom. It's a short kingdom. It's only for seven years. He gets it taken away. And when his gets taken away, it's taken away. When the Babylonians fell, did all the people get erased and wiped out right away? When the Medes and the Persians fell, did we no longer have any Arab people left? When Alexander died and his kingdoms divided up, were all the Greek people removed? When the Roman Empire fell, do we still have Roman or Italians as they are known today? See, the, it still went on. But when the little horn's power falls, that's it. Everything's gone because Christ comes. So it's a picture of what happens. We're going to stop here and we're going to pick up on 13 next time we get back together. Now... This is also, when it gets to chapter 10, the question was asked, you know, about Daniel fasting. And I can see why when you get to the end of this, he actually talks about it troubled him a lot. He didn't get it. If you were given a vision of the future that you didn't understand, would it trouble you? So we can see how Daniel had problems. Uh, if we 